Y'all didn't believe me, did you? <laughs> Whoa. Nine o'clock, I was over here, and I just, it's like I'd hardly stay seated. So I said, 11 o'clock, I'm going to sing with you all. <laughs> and it was amazing. It's a whole different perspective, actually, singing with the gospel ensemble. For example, the white girl there in the glasses, Joy Jolly, <laughs> she used to sit kind of towards the back over on Decatur Street, very dignified, you know. <laughs> and something's gotten into her. <laughs> Did you, did you hear those? Woo! Woo! That, that wasn't me. That was Joy. <laughs> and Carla, that was great. And standing next to Wayne, that's one of the secrets to surviving up there. He has a great voice. So, uh, <laughs> Actually, when I threatened to sing with the ensemble during the 9 o'clock service, I found Justin, the director, over in the fellowship hall afterwards, the gathering place. And I said, where do you want me to stand? And he looked at me. He said... You mean you're serious? <laughs> he said, well, just stand wherever you want. <laughs> so I said, I'll stand in the back kind of away from the microphone. <sighs> oh, thank you for sharing together this morning. And uh, This week, the Gospel Ensemble and Stephen and Reverend Kristen and myself, we are going to St. Louis for the PAD conference, the People of Africa Descent Conference. Uh, we're going to share some of that undignified praise in St. Louis, so we ask for your prayers during that time. Oh, God really is so good. And God's goodness is revealed in us. And I found myself thinking back to this room just a few weeks ago actually about right here. This is where the first table was. And in fact, a group of volunteers had come in during Holy Week and had moved most of the seats back and out of the way. And all the way to the back, this room was filled with dining room tables, candles, basins of water. And resurrection happened in a whole different way a few weeks ago on Thursday night as people came to the tables and found their story in the story of Scripture, as people began to share from their heart, as the resurrection story really became our story. We remembered the night when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and in this very room a few weeks ago, we felt safe enough to take off our shoes and socks and minister to each other as servants, as friends. Then a week ago, a week ago yesterday, the activity building, which is often derided for its appearance, <laughs> it's often viewed as an eyesore, in many ways became an amazing spiritual center. As over a hundred of you gathered together to walk the journey of the labyrinth. Prayer tables were set up in various locations and when you walked in, it's like the entire community was praying in that place. It's like our stories were intersecting. It's like we were all brought there by the Spirit. That there was a divine purpose in community. We were all there for a reason. People of all ages. Some walking the labyrinth, others praying at tables along the side.
And then again, you saw that cracking open of hearts as people found strength in each other. We, we, we live in a culture that celebrates rugged individualism, radical isolation. And you could almost sense this amazing freedom as people stepped on that labyrinth and with each step said, I don't have to journey alone. You're with me. We're together. We're, we're one. We may not think exactly the same way. We may have a different viewpoint on this, a different approach to that. But our hearts and our journey and our lives, they're, they're shared. And then in this place last week, we talked about the strength of the redwoods, how they have stood for 2,000 years because the roots were intertwined, and how that is our calling, how we are each other's strength. That's how Christ is revealed. Christ is revealed in each other. Those redwoods have stood for over 2,000 years through storms, through fires, through testing because there was this deep strength under the surface. Shared soil, shared nutrition. And then we became that community as we actually linked hands and arms and song from all the way in the choir area, all the way to the back, rooted here at this table. I found myself holding on to some of those images and it occurred to me, and in recent weeks we've talked a lot about imagining forward and imagining what God wants to do through us as we think out and as we vision. We, we've talked about how there was that community 36 years ago that nervously met in a small apartment in the Montrose and how they imagined us and how that first Easter community imagined Christians to follow through the centuries, how they also imagined us. But as I thought of our community in these last few weeks, and as I thought of today's scripture from Acts, what occurred to me is we're called to imagine forward, but we're also called to imagine back. And that's what we do when we find strength in each other. We are a part of the hearts of those who gathered in that first community. And part of our call is to imagine back and connect our hearts with theirs. And it occurred to me, those, those, those redwoods, they've been around for over 2,000 years. What that means is that redwood forest was a seed at about the same time the Christian community was a seed. We're a part of that growth. We are a part of that power. We are a part of that spiritual force. This scripture today from Acts is a scripture that holds tremendous power for us. And I'd invite you to turn with me to page two of your worship folder. That scripture is printed there at the very bottom of page two. And uh, this is a famous scripture. It's also a controversial picture. This is a, a scripture that has actually challenged uh, communities in many ways. Some, in fact, have looked at this scripture and have been called to a measure of, of revolution. Some have looked at this scripture and, and looked at the social references and the political references. And there is some great potency in that. 
Uh, back during World War II, during the Nazi movement, there was an underground seminary that was meeting in resistance to the Nazi movement. It was led by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, which found its core thought in this scripture. This scripture sustained that community as they stood in resistance. And ultimately, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was discovered and killed by the Nazis. But those who were still remaining continued to hold on to this scripture as part of their strength and sustenance during that time. There's a lot of power and strength and call here. But what is often missed is something I'd like to draw our hearts to today. It's towards the end of the scripture where it describes the people as a people of glad and generous hearts. The call here is clear for us that when we imagine, it's not just about expanded ministries, though it's about that, It's not just about making our facilities more accessible ultimately as we get to that place and become financially strong and healthy. It's it's about that, but it's about more than that. You see, generosity of resource is also a call to generosity of heart. And part of what that means is we are called to be generous in our attitudes towards one another. We're called to be generous in how we judge one another, which is difficult when we're the one that feels judged, but that's part of the call here. And to be generous of spirit, thinking the best of others, assuming the best. This is what was happening in this early community. In this early community, if someone was late to a meeting, the assumption of the group was not that that person was sloughing off. The first assumption was that person was late because they were helping somebody in need. The first thought was a thought of grace. People who were graceful to each other. One thing I've noticed sometimes about our community is that when it comes to a very evident need, we'll give the shirt off our back to that person. And we'll support them at that moment. But then a day later, we're copying attitude. (laughs) about the same person who would give our last shirt to, we tend to be ungenerous in our thoughts and attitudes towards them. This scripture is saying our deepest call is to be generous on the deepest level. To break open our hearts and our lives in generosity of spirit towards one another. This scripture goes on to say that as they had their generous hearts and as they were praising God, They had the goodwill of the people. In other words, the surrounding community, which maybe didn't agree with their theology, or didn't agree with their desire to follow Christ, looked at this community with respect. And in fact, a powerful word is used here. They looked at this community with awe. The sense in the community is that there was something happening among this group of believers. Something powerful, something unexpected, something real. How does our community think of us? Do they see resurrection as a church willing to be there? Willing to listen? Willing to create a place of honesty? 
a place where a person can come and offer their lives and their struggle knowing that they'll be received, a place where the walls are down and hearts are open. We live in a world that hungers for communities and congregations that are whole and healthy and mature and spiritually alive. And that's what was happening in this community. Why did this church have the goodwill of the community? Because the people in this church had goodwill for each other. That's where it started. And that goodwill created goodwill. Generosity of heart, generosity of spirit, generosity of judgment, generosity of attitude. A place like that is a miracle. And can we imagine that kind of miracle right here? Growing trust. A place where it's safe enough to tell our stories. I love how Flossa, Flora Slauson Woolner describes the miracle of a community that truly lets the walls down and the hearts open. The great miracle happens when a Christian community experiences the lifted burden, the healed memory, the healed relationship, and the release of the chains and tombs of old bigotries and dividing walls. A Christian community's experience of the mercy, freedom, and abundant sustenance of Jesus the Christ enables that community to share that freedom and sustenance with all that come their way. The writer of Ephesians describes such a community. Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together, each is a part. Working properly promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. When we proclaim, release, and speak the truth in love, the Spirit transforms lives, heals bodies, gives hope, awakens and affirms our gifts, and encourages the varying ministries as the leavening expands through the bread of our community life. The breath of the Spirit gives us this empowered gift. We are the breathed upon, the releasers. Mm. That's what happened when Jesus gathered with those disciples in that room after his resurrection. He breathed upon them, and they were released from their fears, and they were empowered to go and break open their hearts and break open their lives. They became a part of us that day. And that same breath is the breath that Christ breathes upon us, that we might be a community of releasers, that all the secrets we've carried that have weighed us down can be healed. The places of pain, the places of hurt, the places of wounding, they can be released in each other. I love the places where I see that happening in our midst. If you have a Tuesday uh, free uh, one of these days, join the owls for lunch. What they're doing right now is simply breaking bread together, sharing a meal, and then one of them shares the story of their life, and we listen. And it's amazing to hear the stories that we carry, the stories that are brought to this place, stories of humor, but also stories of hurt. And what's amazing is that no matter how painful or joyful the story might be, 
at the end, the owls stand up, and they hug each other, they greet each other, they help each other, and then the leftover food is given to people that, that need that food. That's real life. That's Acts 2. And then uh, Tuesday night, pop in on a gospel ensemble rehearsal sometime. Uh, truth is, it's not rehearsal. It's real life. If you get there, you'll, you'll see that one might come in who just lost their job that day or that week. And before they sing, those in that group gather around that person and pray for them. Pop in on a sanctuary choir rehearsal some Wednesday night. It's not rehearsal. It's real life. It's this awesome miracle described in Acts. People sharing their story and their hurts and their hopes. That's a miracle our world needs. If we know each other, we'll stop bombing each other, hurting each other, wounding each other, taking advantage of each other. My dream is to see more and more places where Acts 2 breaks out in power and in beauty and in love. And uh, there's some wonderful churches and groups that are taking this kind of stand and saying it's time to move past rugged individualism, radical isolation to a place of radical and real community, not rehearsal but real life. One organization that's doing that is described on the second page of your worship folder today. It's the organization called Bread for the Journey founded by Wayne Muller. I love that story about how part of what it means to find our strength is to remember the song that was sung before we were born. And uh, all of us had a song that was sung for us. It was sung in heaven. Uh, some of us had a mother who, who sang for us as she carried us in her womb. But a lot of times, if we just get quiet enough to hear the song, we'll, we'll discover that deep part of us that, uh, that truly is loving, uh, that will truly work for justice and equality to, to bring down the walls. Bread for the Journey is a wonderful organization because they don't just go into a poor community and, and uh, pass out food. They don't just load a pickup and, and uh, go there and just let people fight over the food. What they do is they go into a community and they find the spirit and the resources and the strength in that community. And they use the gifts and ideas from that community and they support those to help that community move beyond poverty and strength. Uh, the group was founded in uh, New Mexico, which is the second poorest state in our country behind Mississippi. And in one of these communities, a Head Start program was founded. Uh, the key person in that was a woman named Dottie Montagna. Uh, she pulled her family and the resources in that community together, and they founded a Head Start program to begin educating the children at an early age. The founder of Bread for the Journey, Wayne Muller, decided to pay a visit to this community that was really working with Bread for the Journey. He'd not visited there yet. He'd helped resource it, but had not gone yet to meet the people. And the night that he went, they were so prepared for him. And they had a cake, and it was a wonderful celebration. They wanted to thank him for his support. He wanted to thank them for the work they were doing. And when he got there, they had, they had put a, chair, a group of chairs in a circle. And they really started sharing their stories. And some of the stories were, were the stories similar to the stories we carry in this place. Uh, there was a, a grandmother there whose granddaughter um, had died just three weeks earlier because she was given the wrong medication by a pharmacist. Uh, there was a mother there whose daughter had died in a fire just three months before that. Uh, there was a woman there whose husband had just died and there was a man there whose wife had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And... Uh, he listened to them tell their stories, and uh, this is part of how he describes that evening. We spoke together, 
about how we all suffer, how all the children of God seem to have some measure of sorrow. We spoke together about how we sometimes feel broken down by our sorrows, yet at the same time something deep within us is broken open, helping us to become more aware of the richness of who we are. We spoke of love and how it seems to be the precious ointment that enables our suffering to slowly and gradually emerge as healing and grace. We spoke of how we must be careful with our language, and careful with our actions, how we must pay attention to the way we walk on the earth, because our lives and our families, the precious, the priceless, are sacred and holy. Mm-hmm. If we imagine all the way back to Acts, we'll see that that community in Acts and that community you just heard described for northern New Mexico is connected to this community here. And that is that at different times in our life, we will experience the suffering, the breaking open. But in the breaking open, we find our greatest strength. We find our greatest authenticity. And we hear the story. Something else happened that evening. As I mentioned, the founder of the group there in that village was named Dottie Montoya. He goes on to describe what happens next. Dottie's son, Roger, begins to speak. He tells the group in this conservative town that he is a gay man infected with HIV. This is the first time he has spoken of his HIV infection or his sexuality in this small, predominantly Catholic community. Until now, Roger has held his secret. There is a hush as he speaks of losing four partners to death by AIDS. Roger speaks of how he feels both blessed and challenged by his virus. Blessed and challenged to become more creative, more resourceful, more generous. Three years ago, Roger started a gymnastics program for children, a program that has served hundreds of children. Roger clearly clearly has a gift to offer his community, and yet for the first time, he is speaking intimately about who he really is. When Roger finishes, his mother, Dottie, looks around the room, gauging the reaction of the group. With a newfound strength in her words, free at last from the burden of carrying her son's secret, Dottie speaks to her family and friends. She tells them how hard it has been to carry her son's secret. And now she wonders aloud if her family will support her now that it is clear who her son is and what is happening to her son. In the circle, Dottie's sister and two nieces immediately rise. They walk across the room and they embrace both Dottie and Roger. They all weep. Many others in the room are crying and they come over to hold the members of the family. I love that image. People rising, walking across the room to support each other, holding each other, loving each other, weeping together. I'll be here for you. You can tell me your secret. Community. 
redwoods, seeds, imagining. God has called this to be a place where we can walk across the room and not just rehearse, but have real life, real love, real support. If you're comfortable, I invite you to pray with me the prayer we've prayed for the last several weeks. It's the imagine prayer that helps us to pray about the community God's calling us to be. You'll find it on page five in the left-hand corner. Dear God, we ask you to help us imagine with you as we work to make our dreams come true. The things we could do with you by our side and the places we could go with you as our guide. God, show us what can happen when we dream, believe, give, and live. We can't do it by ourselves. We need you. Amen.